0: In the ring with Eusebius Merkaisa. Eusebius oh, by the way, I forgot to thank you. The other day I realized that we now have about a 100 podcasts. I should have celebrated the milestone, but I've been so deep inside the content that I actually forgot to say thank you, thank you, thank you. If it wasn't for your interest in downloading the episodes and also subscribing to the podcast, there would have been no audience and therefore no motivation on my part and my producer Abel Spot to keep going and to keep bringing you interesting guests and topics that we are engaging in. So thank you so much for the last um, year or so and uh, we now are very close to half a million downloads and I really want to thank you for it. While we're at it let me also just explain so many of you who are generous to a fault in terms of following my content when it comes to the audio journalism element that is podcasting, keep asking me for the links whenever I write on Twitter or put on Instagram a preview of what is coming in the next episode. Uh, Guys, if I can be so bold as to slightly challenge you, even though I'm at the same time a servant who is beholden to your loyalty, please simply become a subscriber. Then you don't have to nag the podcaster for a link Because if you are a subscriber, I myself subscribe to many local podcasts, international ones. Then the next time you go on your favorite podcast platform, there will automatically be some sort of, depending on what the platform platform is, there'll be some mechanism there that alerts you to a new episode for every podcast that you subscribe to. Or you might get an automatic um, alert. For example, one of my favorite podcasts locally is Peter Bruce, my colleague at Arena Holdings. And um, I never miss an episode. Internationally, um, I follow the New Yorker podcast hour, and um, you know, and, and many others in between. So please, please, please subscribe. Be that as it may, let go on. Let's get on with this edition. I wanted to alert you to a new book that is out. It probably will be on the bookshelves, uh, if not now, over the next seven days or so. I've seen some excitement around it on social media. And it is a book entitled Manifesto by Songhezo Zibi. Now, many of you will know him as someone who is very involved in South African journalism, also in South African corporates, in the mining sector, banking sector. And, of course, he's now at Rivonia Circle, which he is a co-founder of. And they are a civil society organization, not-for-profit and one that is really determined to directly get involved in engaging the important social and political issues of the day, rather than simply bitching and moaning from the side. And that is really the context also for Zonghezo's second book, which is Manifesto. I finished it um, today, this morning, earlier this day, and um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I really found it a pitch-turner and the best Um, sort of way I can describe it is to say that this is a book that is a challenge to particularly the type of person and I'm stereotyping you that probably listens to me the type of person who might read the Sunday Times or the business day that he used to be an editor of or the financial mail that he used to write for often and he's still a columnist in our stable as well and he calls us broadly the professional class or the middle class and this is a book That, although it is about the state of the nation, is ultimately a call to the professional class to get involved in politics. So, there's a couple of things I want to do. I want to describe what the book does, I want to summarize as best I can the main contours, and then I want to give you my opinion. I can't do it all justice. You've got to buy the book, read it for yourself. There's too much detail. Um, for me to be able to engage in just one summary, this is really just an affirmation of the work that Song Gezo has done, uh, which is why I am recording this as a sort of ode to his excellence. But also, um, you can find my written book review, which is a far lengthier one than what I will do in this little shout-out. Um, on timeslive.co.za, today is Thursday, it will either be up this evening, alternatively tomorrow, Friday, on TimesLive.co.za. Okay. So, what is the book about? Manifesto starts off by saying, "Look, it is easy to bitch and moan about the ANC in government, and for good reason. They have really messed up the country, and the data speaks for itself. And that's apart from our, from each of our individual direct experiences. You know, whether we talk about almost half of the population." not employed, whether we talk about the projections for GDP growth over the next three years, which is going to be, on average, under 2% growth per annum, when in fact we need to be growing sustainably at least around 5.5, if not 6% or more, to have a real chance to deal deep levels of asset and income inequality and high levels of um, poverty, a death blow. So we are in enormous trouble. And that's not even to add to the other obvious elements, the ways in which the state had been repurposed for capture under the Zuma years. But quite frankly, Zuma shouldn't be isolated as an exception to the ANC predation. It really started soon after 1994. You will remember even in the first ANC um, government, when the first major moral stain on the ANC in government was probably the arms deal. And that led to people like Andrew Feinstein having to resign in order to keep their integrity intact because they were told to not ask awkward questions on SCOPA, which is the subcommittee that was doing important oversight work over the executive. So basically, when all is said and done, the case proves itself against the ANC and we need to overcome, says Songezo, and I think this is uncontroversial. We need to overcome the psychological barrier of not being able to imagine living in a country that doesn't have the ANC as part of government. We can't afford to continue being enthralled by the ANC in government. And we can't afford to be hoodwinked by an ANC that promises, quote-unquote, organizational renewal. It's not going to happen. And if they do want to renew themselves, he rightly says, let them do it outside of government. And so he goes on and he talks about other aspects of the state that has been almost, but fortunately not quite, but almost irreparably harmed by successive ANC governments after 1994. Now look, as a sidebar, what do I think of that? I think it is so obviously true, it's almost trite. And the only people who will contest that description of the ANC are the people who benefit from the looting and who themselves don't have any moral backbone, or the sycophants who are not benefiting from the looting, but who are suffering from Stockholm Syndrome, a psychological syndrome where you are in love with the people that have captured you. And um, I really hope that you listening to this podcast don't fall into one of those categories. He doesn't spend much time on the opposition, but he obviously also has a lot to say about the EFF and the DA and the dangers of smaller parties and coalitions. They can also become caught up in intractable differences between themselves. I mean, look at Nelson Mandela Bay, for example, over the last couple of years how fractious the coalition politics were there and consequently what it meant for poor service delivery in that city. That city is now facing um, day zero that is emerging in terms of even something as basic as clean running water being available, safe water coming out of the taps. So coalition government is not something we can easily yearn for. Um, And then you've got the DA, that's deeply ahistorical he goes so far as to say that they are right-wing ideologically right-wing liberals i'm not quite sure what he means by that but um, especially as someone who thinks of myself as liberal but i agree with him that they are ahistorical and that they certainly Uh, refuse to deal head-on with the legacies of colonialism and apartheid. And so what they have to offer the vast majority of the country is not a social democratic vision, but one of market fundamentalism and paying lip service to an understanding of history. The EFF, in turn, is just quite frankly, ideologically confused, as he says, and they have some ideas that are just impractical, they are prone to populism, and their individual leaders are problematic. He uses the adjective boorish to describe Floyd Shivambu, and he gives examples of how someone like Juju um, cannot be trusted to be consistent in his relationship with the rule of law, for example. And that characterization of the leadership suggests that they too aren't an obvious safe alternative for a rational thinking person who wants to divorce the ANC. So basically, his analysis is that the ANC has demonstrated a deep disdain for democracy, responsive government, and ethics, and the DA and the EFF, which unsurprisingly, therefore, is also why they did poorly in the local government elections, aren't exactly the obvious alternatives. Now, I want to pause here and say that none of that is too controversial. And if that's all that the book achieved, I wouldn't recommend you buy the book because every one of us knows the weaknesses of the ANC, the DA, and the EFF. And we've got to do more. What makes this book valuable is its attempt to be positive in attitude, future-looking, and solution-oriented. Now, some of the ideas that it comes up with, you will quibble with. I don't think all of them are ideas that I think are feasible, But the important thing here is not so much the minutiae, although he will insist that the minutiae is how we're going to redesign the state to do what it should should have done. But rather, for me, it is actually the attitude that he wants us to adopt, which is to say we're not going to be apathetic, we're not going to retreat as the middle class and as the professional class, and rather we're going to get involved. We're going to contest these ideas amongst ourselves and um, learn to organize and stop thinking that calling into an open line English medium talk radio show or writing a strongly worded letter to the editor is the only way in which you can really um, productively get involved in, the, in a democracy. That is not good enough. And I think that for me is the central message that I think is worth, worth wrestling with. Um, and that really is for me the heart of what he what he says so let me read from the book because that part for me is really what what's 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 crucial he says the following and i quote the professional class do not participate in protests or get involved in party or civic politics yet we want a healthy functioning democracy this is unsustainable because democracy is a system of self-rule Things can only be as good as we actively make them to be. Our lack of meaningful participation is now evident for all to see. The country is broken and falling apart. That's what um, Songhez Zibi writes. He goes on and he says, Apart from social media noise, we are effectively too distant from the cutting edge of politics to make any visible difference at all. The professional class yearns to participate in some form of activism, And the following bit stings, you must be warned. But an activism that does not involve too much personal inconvenience. Ouch. And he says, just as it outsources basic services that the state should provide, it outsources protest to the working class or the poor. And so he goes on. Now, that quote for me is really, really interesting because it kind of challenges you. You know, if you if you wonder who is the professional class, it's probably the person listening to this podcast. is the one who can, if they choose to, afford to buy a copy of the Business Day. It is the kind of person who owns a smart device, a laptop. I mean, obviously, that's you know these definitions are are, are imperfect because many poor people and working class people also have some of these goods. But there's a certain kind of person who has fairly stable levels of income, maybe a degreed professional or some kind of post-secondary education under your belt, Um, live in the suburbs, or if you wanted to, you could. That class of person is what he has in mind. And I think he's right. I think he's absolutely right. Many of us are either completely jaded because the political system is just so tiring to engage, or we take the moral high ground and say, well, I work very hard. They tax me. 40%, 50%, whatever the case might be, 28% corporate tax. What do you want me to do? That's more than enough. But of course, the problem is the fact that you are entitled to good services as a result of the money that you pay doesn't mean you're going to get good services, and it doesn't mean that it's helpful to simply bemoan the fact that you get poor services or no services at all. It's simply imprudent because then you're giving money to criminals and taking the moral high ground that they are behaving criminally but they don't care that you are writing strongly worded letters to the editor. They're simply going to continue feeding off your tax money. And in that sense, I think Songheza's right to challenge our apathy um, in relation to those people who disappoint us and who simply are stealing our monies. There's another quote I want to, want to share with you. He says the following, and I quote, I've come to the conclusion the destruction of the economy and state dysfunction will soon make it pointless to remain silent to protect a sheltered lifestyle of suburban residential complexes and large houses. In any event, even those who live that life are a month or two away from pennilessness in the event that they lose their jobs. In a way, that is the prison we have allowed to grow around ourselves. Now listen carefully to this, guys. We have been cowed into silence by the fear of losing income if we speak out either against corporate discrimination or the corruption and incompetence of the political elites. But we have arrived at the point where the disadvantages of silence diminish by the day as national collapse intrudes on daily life with load shedding, water cuts, unrepaired roads and numerous other problems that must be navigated on a daily basis. I want to repeat that. That's one of my favorite sentences in the whole book. Just the first part of it alone. But we have arrived at the point where the advantages of silence diminish by the day as national collapse intrudes, dot, dot, dot. And that's it, isn't it? You've got to ask yourself, what is the cost of being jaded, choosing apathy or even rationally feeling as if you are entitled to get more without needing to suddenly get actively involved in the minutiae of political processes. There's a cost to thinking that you deserve more and therefore you're not going to do anything other than simply demanding or expecting or hoping more. And the cost is that the current downward spiral will continue. And for me, this part of the message of the book is almost lost because he says it two or three places and and doesn't really... I would have had an entire chapter just devoted to this in a very explicit kind of way because it's the backbone and that's why you will see in my written review when you go to Times Live, I really elevate it even in the title that I chose and I hope the sub-editors didn't change my title because... The conversation he wants to have with the professional class, for me, is really the most interesting and the most important political element of this book. And it is to say, unless and until middle class people realise that there, that our fate is tied up with the fate of the poor and the working class, and therefore build bridges and move out of our gated communities literally and figuratively and politically to form alliances that are cross-class alliances on the basis of mutual interest, and the new social compact around a social democratic vision that the DA doesn't have, the EFF doesn't have, and which the ANC abandoned as soon as it came into power. Unless we do that, we're not going to turn around the fortunes of our country. And I think he's absolutely right. Now, I don't think that's actually quite new. Many people have said that before. I've said that many times myself. Um, but what's useful about what Songhezo has done, and he needs to be given full kudos for this, is that he has said, I'm going to write a book in which I will pull all of this together, put my face on the front of it as if I'm campaigning, and I think tacitly he is. He even explicitly says, I will judge myself by the very standards that I am demanding of fellow professionals in the country. I am prepared to run and become president of this country. I want to get involved and I'm going to do exactly what I say we should all do, otherwise I'm being a hypocrite. And I, and I commend him for that, and that's the difference. Whereas the rest of us can stand up, go to the Santham Convention Centre, give a keynote speech as a commentator, and also say the things that he says. I've said it many a times at corporate events, but um, I haven't exactly signed up to start a new political organisation or even a civil society organisation, and then he's, he's done that. And, and I take my hat off, and I commend him for doing that. And I think that's the challenge, and I think the conversation he wants to start, although in one sense not new, the moment is right. Off the back of the work of the Zondo Commission, off the back of the latest data of just how bad the state of the state is, how we are sliding from a corrupt state to a predatory state, from a predatory state to a gangster state, which is a different kind of beast altogether. And I think in that context, there's a sense of urgency that requires us a new to really, really have another go at challenging the professional class, quote-unquote, uh, to not be to not be apathetic. The last two things I'll say, um, and I think I've said enough probably to persuade you to go and buy the book and, and really engage with it, is um, that he's also technocratically interesting, because he then says, this is all high-level, and I will still be high-level, he says, but here are some precise things we can do by way of changing the state, and this is what I would do if I was in charge I would get rid of provinces, I would change the electoral system so that MPs are more um, beholden to the sort of whims of constituencies rather than party headquarters. We should have voting districts that directly elect their MPs, have the ability to recall them. But he's also prepared to say things that you won't like as the average Joe. Like he says, we can't simply have anyone stand for office. We need to have threshold criteria. There's no point in having an MP who is completely illiterate on accounting and being bamboozled by corporates that appear before them. Um, that you need a certain kind of professional, certain kind of person with skills and academic qualifications to be to be in, in those positions. I think that's a bit controversial if you are someone who believes that democracy is about representation based on popularity. Um, but again, he's not saying that you must swallow everything, he says, whole and uncritically. He says, can we agree on one thing? We designed a system that assumed the ANC leaders would all be like Nelson Mandela. They haven't been that. And therefore, we've got to go back to the drawing board and ask, how can we change elements of the Constitution, elements of the state, to be more realistic about the fact that we also have so many people who are opportunistic, who simply get into politics, to get into the state for their own self-serving purposes. If we take that as a starting point, what 20 odd years later should we change about the state to take account of the kind of person that gets involved in politics? And the last one third of his book is a fantastic attempt to start those conversations. We can quibble on the detail, but it's a fantastic series of conversations to open up about everything around political economy to the judiciary to how we elect important positions like DGs, or the head of the NBA, or the police commissioner. And he's got practical, really interesting ideas about all of this subject matter. So when all is said and done, um, I think some of you will find aspects of the book um, quote-unquote trite, in the sense that if you are a keen follower of current affairs, some of it you will know. But I think the book has got a very important psychopolitical relevance that... You, you need a book like this around which we can really and put all of the different discussions happening in different places together. And then I think on top of that, you would lie if you say there's nothing in the book that you, you know, that you haven't thought about before. I think everyone will find something in the book if they read with comprehension, something interesting about the book. Like, for example, the challenge to the professional class. Even if you've thought about that before fleetingly, I think if you... If you read the book with comprehension, you'll be able to appreciate the depth and the complexity of that challenge and that command that we should all engage in cross-class politics. So, Songhezo, I'm sorry that we couldn't make an author interview work. I'm on to my next book, and so I have to get my thoughts about a book that I've just finished out of the way before I forget them. But um, kudos to you for writing a great book. I hope you have great book sales. And it's very clear to me that you have political ambition. I think that's why you probably chose to put your face on the book cover. It's not out of arrogance. I think it was a political tactic on your part. And um, I commend you for deciding that it's not enough to be a commentator, but that one has to be an actor in the body politic if you really want to turn around the ruinous state of the state that the ANC has left us with.